All right, I would like to welcome everybody to the Roxmore Roundtables. My name is Victoria Angeny, and I am the student coordinator. Uh, today, our topic is going to be uh, racism and diversity in the classrooms here at Jefferson, and our host will be Isabella Sarabo. Um, hi, guys. My name is Bella. I'm a fourth-year fashion merchandising and management major. I am the president of the Student Government Association. Um, I think SGA wanted to have this conversation today because it gives students the opportunity to speak their minds, and I'm happy to have the chance to do that now. Hi, I'm Lily Joseph. I'm a third year um, construction manager. My name is Donna Jones. I'm a fourth year construction manager major. Um, I'm Samir Roller. I'm a second year psychology community and trauma counseling major. My name is Jerry Matthew. I'm a CM student, third year. Uh, my name is Charles Mendoza. I'm a third year engineer major. My name is Antonio Wood. I'm a second year industrial design major. My name is Ali Concepcion. I'm a third year psycho team major. So, um, putting together, we kind of came up with some talking points for this topic. Um, one, just to start the conversation, is how does diversity from your hometown differ from diversity on campus? Let's start with this one right here. Uh, well, I'm from New York City. So, New York City is obviously like the most diverse city in the world. I live in, I live in Queens. You want our town that's the most diverse county in the world, and I went to school in Astoria, which is the most diverse town in the world. And so, diversity to me is honestly at this point just being comfortable going wherever I go, and like uh, not not feeling different, not getting different like looks. I mean, you get looks either way because people. Uh, try to challenge you in some way, but that's more of like a, they try to dominate you in some way, but yeah, diversity to me from being in New York, being comfortable wherever I am, and like being able to talk to whoever I can, like whoever is around, and like relate to them, even though we're like from different backgrounds, you know? Um, kind of going off our trip, like I'm also from New York as well. I'm from Long Island, kind of right next to Queens, so I, it's really diverse out there. So coming here was pretty different for me. And diversity to me is kind of being just colorblind, not seeing race and not seeing color, just seeing everyone as a human being and just getting to know them just as a human being, not based on where they're from or what they like or whatever. Now diversity is just being to, like, like Arturo was saying, like being comfortable in a place with everyone else, no matter who you are or where you come from. Um, so my hometown is Philadelphia. Um, I went to school in Center City, Philadelphia. But um, I guess what's different about my high school was that it was very, it was a very diverse school um, in terms of like, race and ethnicity, as well as like gender identity, sexual orientation, all of those things. And um, what was very interesting about it was that a lot of effort was always made to celebrate those things, so not so much so of like not seeing them and not <coughs> acknowledging them, but um, everyone was very proud of the identities that they held and were able to express that and had like open spaces to do so. And I feel um, so much, not so much so here that like it's not that we have those spaces, but that those spaces aren't utilized and that they aren't um, as you know well known and like not too many people have that like to celebrate their cultures. Well, I'm from Fort Washington, Maryland, which is about 10 minutes from Northern Virginia, 
10 minutes from Washington, D.C. So I'm from a very, what I would call, diverse area. Like race, race is very diverse back home. But where I personally, like where I live, it's majority African-American. And just coming here, it just it seems like the opposite. But I went to a high school where African-Americans, it was 7% African-American. So I've been, you know, I've seen the other sides. And diversity back home, it's more so, it, it's not, I don't want to say it isn't talked about like where I'm from, like my hometown, but it's just accepted it is what it is. It's not really a big uproar. And now with the um, National Harbor and then the MGM and all that around, it's bringing more tourism and like more different like, different people. So we're starting to see like a big change in diversity more so even though the nation's capital brings in different people all the time, but now the air surrounding areas are starting to become more diverse and it's not a, a shock or anything. It's, Really, just keep going. Um, for me, my hometown, I'm here where God is from. And uh, for me, like my hometown is predominantly African American. And well, my distinct area, we have like, one of the higher population of like uh, white people living in our area. So it was like seeing a mixture of how me and my family living with like my white stepfather and how people in the area kind of treated me differently, whether it was from like the white community or the black community. So I got to see that split of how people view me in like a negative light. And then coming to this campus, like that same kind of negative views that people had on me or the way that I speak or my views on what diversity is and what it should be were also like brought along with me to this campus, even though it is a predominantly white institution. Um, I grew up in a town about 30 minutes south of New York City. Um, and it was very diverse. Um, everyone, a lot, everyone kind of had family in New York somewhere. It was kind of just a place to go when people kind of moved out of the city more toward like the suburban area. Um, diversity to me is kind of just sitting in a room with a bunch of different people and kind of exploring their, you know, their um, their uh, religious backgrounds, their ethnic ethnicities, sexual orientation, genders, and just kind of accepting everyone and kind of learning more about each other and like exploring that diversity because that's what makes you know everything so great is kind of collaborating with each other so. <laughs> um, diversity uh, it, to me i think of it in terms of race but also in terms of thought like a lot of times the way we think is based on our experiences so like people who've never left their hometown or have never left their radius from where they live they obviously have a different way of a different worldview. Um, uh, in terms of this campus, I don't see it as diverse. Um, it's it times feels very homogenous in terms of like how people operate and think. Um, and then also, if you think about racially, it's definitely predominantly white. Um, have you or someone you know have been treated differently by professors because of your race or? Yes, uh, so I'm a design student and a lot of our uh, work involves uh, public ridicule. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you put your work up there, they judge it, they you know, give it a critique. And um, I can think to one moment specifically that actually happened this year. Um, 
small and it reads some, but it, it, it struck me, especially where in a presentation on a product that I made was like an orthopedic shoe, and in my presentation I featured a picture of kind of an older African American woman, um, which came up at some point after when we were talking about, you know, when the professor was critiquing my work and what it was, and um, she asked if the lady in my presentation was my grandmother, and so much I said no. Um, but furthermore, it made me think super consciously about, you know, my intention in putting that lady in there was because I see a ton of people feature white individuals in their presentations. Um, and her mentioning that or questioning it made me then think, is there something wrong with that? Or why did this lady, uh, by association, maybe because of what she looked like, seem to be my grandmother? Um, so, and, and then once again, kind of reminded me that I'm one of two African Americans in my class because, you know, this small picture meant something enough to ask a question, which I then maybe think about it, um, or feel different at this tangent question, feel different compared to the two class. Following up with that, uh, because of that that moment, was that going to change the way you may do a future project in that class, or another assignment, what do you think was? Um, it'll probably make me feature more, like, my blackness. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted that conversation to go further, but the time didn't allow for it. Um, but also, you know, I had everything that I wanted to say after the fact. Um, but it, I think, it, it's made of the importance of like my place in that space. That um, part of why this question is because it's not normal or it's not common. Um, even in, for example, like we, uh, our department does the. Tandem conference and all the speakers were like white males, um, to whom I can't really. Yeah. No, um, I know some classes, well, a lot of the hallmarks classes that I've been in, there's been situations where we talk about like African Americans or you know people of color in that class, and there's been classes where I've been that one African American, and. You, they some professors, it's been instances where it's like they don't want to call you out on it, but it's like you have they want someone to speak from experience, and if you're the only African American in the room, it gets awkward when you're looking up and always making eye contact with them. It's like you and you know they want you to talk, but I'm the person who like because I know you want me to talk, and that's why you keep like wanting to. Because I just felt like it was an open these classes, like it's open conversation, but you shouldn't expect for. Like for us to always talk in a sense, like um, like the conversation's good that we were having in class, but it's like, okay, John, a personal experience. And I'm like, all right, that shouldn't always be the case. So I know that's been frustrating, always being the one African-American class where we talk about, for instance, African-American women in America. Like, all right, that's the life I live, and then what's there? You're expected to speak more than the rest of your class, and it, that I don't think should be the case. Just because, I mean, you do hold that identity, but you can't pull it out of them. Like, you shouldn't be making eye contact every two seconds because you want to talk. Mm -hmm. I mean, off of that, like, I think we're often expected to speak from experience, and then also to police when things like aren't. Um, when people are saying things that may not be like inclusive or like correct, like I think back to um, when I was in debating U.S. issues and we had a talk about the N-word, and 
uh, class got a little interesting, and my professor goes, well, Zanae, what do you think about it? When I was the only African-American person in the room, I was like, I can't be the one, like, I can't be expected to police things at all times. Talk about like at any school specifically on this campus where you find yourself or you finding yourself to be like one of the only black people in like a classroom or like some other instance where like I'm the only black person. It's always just kind of like people look to you to speak and then like depending on what you say, like I have to be cognizant that they're gonna take my words and use it as this is what all black people think, this is what all black women think, this is what all people from your community like think like. And so they'll use that as like power against something or a different situation. Be like, well, I talked to this one black girl and she said this, and it's just like, no, 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 like I'm different from like other black people in like this space or other black people in the world. Like I like I find that to be very, very common on this campus where my work, my what I have to say holds so much weight, but then can mean so little at this very same time. Um, I'm Puerto Rican and I do have family in Puerto Rico right now and after kind of the storm had happened and you know there was more focus on the politics of the situation rather than helping people and the fact that these are actual humans who kind of lost everything and in a class it kind of came up you know the topic of um, Donald Trump and all of you know the um, sports figures and stuff like that and then someone threw Puerto Rico in there and you know people were making a comment like you know they're not even Americans you know they're not you know like they're they're just there because they can't afford to live on their own and like these are comments that people are just making in class and I'm sitting there like like shaking because like this is my family like my whole family's out there so um, it's kind of hard when you know you're sitting there and you're the only person there that really understands it on a personal level. And when people around you don't realize how it's impacting actual people, it's it's hard. You, you feel silent. You feel like you can't even say anything because you're not American. And I was born and raised in Jersey. I am American. And my family in Puerto Rico, they are American. And like for people to sit and say that they're not, it's just mind-blowing. So going off of that, what are your thoughts about diversity seen in our school? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but can you go to me, Alex, next week, I have a question about the accepting ceremony. <laughs> 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 so you're king late. You're a do they have nuts in them, Lane? Do they have nuts in them? No nuts. We don't have diversity, but we have social security. So bringing it back in. <laughs> you were asking about diversity. In response to like what we... So kind of going off of that, yeah. Uh, well, I think like specifically in the classroom, like at least from what uh, was just said, like a lot of us felt like we were the only people of color in the room, or like maybe we felt like the only person of our ethnic background in the classroom, and that you know kind of puts a weird, like I guess I mean we know that this is a predominantly white institution, but it's just 
it's not really all that diverse. When it comes to orientation, I, I mean, I have came to, you know, uh, for my tours and accepting students day, but when I came to orientation, it really hit me. When you look around, you see all the groups on the lawn, and then, you know, then you have to worry about who you're going to live with and all that, and it's so stressful. And I found myself trying to look and find some type of Hispanic roommate because they could probably somehow understand how I felt in that situation. And like the fact that like you're you know you're at your freshman orientation of college like starting the rest of your life and you're stressed out about that like it's just a feeling that like you feel like you kind of have to you know try and survive and that's not how this should be it's not how this college experience should be. Um, kind of going off like that like when I first came here it was definitely like a huge shock to me because like where I came from my school was like it was like I believe like forty five percent Indian and like 15% like Latino, 10% African American, the rest white. So like, I was never like a minority, and especially living near Queens and all, you don't really feel like a minority, you know, because you're around of other people, racism, ethnicities. So coming here was like, my mental thought was like, wow, like, how am I gonna survive these four years? Like, who am I gonna go to when I have like, family issues that no one will understand except for like people of my ethnicity? Know, who's going to help me through all those struggles and still constant battle at times? I remember like coming here as a freshman, and like during my freshman year, like there was like some statistic about the numbers of people of color on campus, and it's like some low number, I don't know if it's like 12% or something like that. And I remember sitting there, and like everyone around school was just like, Yeah, we're such a diverse campus, like look at this percentage, it's like 12% diversity, like we have 12% people of color. And I'm like, that's not a lot. Like, I, mean, I was like, like honestly, it was like my freshman year. And I was just like, do people think that this is like a high number? Like, that that's not like a high number. Like, this is weird for me. Like, for me, I was just like, okay, maybe I'm crazy. So of course, like, I was looking for like other people to talk to, other people to to talk to, and be like, is this like a high number? Like, am I crazy? Like, I know I come from a predominantly like black area, and I'm now in like a predominantly white area, but like, is this like a quote unquote normal number and I kept thinking that and then as like my thought process went on I started to feel like more ostracized and be like okay like I, I guess I'm just part of like this diversity number I guess I'm part of this diversity quota I guess like I started to like doubt myself and like my reasoning for being at this institution like am I here because like I deserve to be here or am I here to fulfill some sort of diversity dream that this like that really liberal arts college wants to have and like that's a scary thought to have like coming right out of high school and just being like okay now we're just gonna go straight into like the deep dark secrets of like adulthood fantastic <laughs> kate um i'd like to speak to this point um coming from a school administrator's point of view um i think oftentimes schools really push like you to have a larger um, but it's not always, the first thought isn't what can your experience bring to our campus, but how much money can they bring to campus because they're going to push a full-fledged bill through, you know, our administration and they're going to require housing, so that's an extra, an extra bill. Um, so in the movement, as administrators, it's our duty to educate students and that should be our first priority, not fulfilling that. Yeah, going off of Monique's point, um, as as 
every year goes by, I realize it's less and less diverse just because like when I came in came in college I was like, Wow, this is cool college, I'm not really focused on like all oh, the earth and focusing on new experiences for myself. And I have I have a friend who every year he always mentions it, always mentions it. He always goes, Dude, this campus is so diverse, like look, they have black people and I'm like <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's okay. I was like, dude, you're from New York. <laughs> well, he's from Long Island, so and like deep, deep Long Island, where it's not as diverse as New York City. But he mentions it every year, and every year I'm like, dude, you're from New York. Like, even if you're from Long Island, you know where New York City's from. Like, and like, this is nothing like. Like, I, I, I it was just. It, it baffled me because it was like, like this is not diverse, and like I when I'm here I like I think about it because actually when he hangs out with when he's the only Caucasian person in the group of people that we're hanging out with he like whispers to me he's like dude I'm the only white person here and I'm like okay like fine like that's that has nothing to do with it and I was like how do you think I feel when I'm like the only like Hispanic guy or person of color when I'm around like everybody else like at this school, you know, like, it's this really small community, so, like, I, I was, like, like, I'm not, like, I, I don't know, it was just, he, like, felt weird, and I was, like, don't, don't feel weird, but, like, at the same time, that's how certain people feel in, in situations like that, like, realize that. Yeah. Like, speaking to, like, feeling weird, I often feel, um, like, if a group of, like, people probably want to come together and, like, you know, say, like, if, like, you know, BSU kind of, like, together and people say like oh are white people allowed like things like that and you're like well when did we become a cult like <laughs> to step in um and so it's it feels like there's almost this kind of like fear when groups of people of color come together because people are like are we allowed here how do we navigate this like there's there's like a discomfort there Yeah, like for all of us, it was kind of like kind of easy to fit in with other people of other colors. But when you talk about someone who came from, I know from the east of Long Island, when there's barely any people of color there, like they don't, they've never experienced diversity like we did, so they don't know how to react or feel like. And I think that's like our job and our role on this campus is to make them feel how to react and like how to respond in certain situations, because that shouldn't be like something someone's like typical thought when they're in that kind of scenario. So I actually can speak on that point because I do come from a really small town where it's not diverse. So listening to you guys like from the other perspective is really eye-opening because I did come to campus and say, wow, it's so diverse here. But like listening to you guys speak about it, it is really like eye-opening to me and I feel like I'm gonna have a different perspective like walking away from this now. can kind of speak off of Arturo and Monique. Um, coming in, like I said, my high school was 7% African American. It was predominantly white. So coming in, I, mean, I didn't really notice because it was like high school. It was really close to how high school was. And I, as soon as I came in, naturally flocked to other African Americans just because it was what was comfortable. And as the years have gone by, now I'm into my senior year and I'm just like, yeah, it's not as diverse. And I see like the efforts that are trying to be made to make it more diverse, but obviously it's not as effective as it should be. 
in a sense. So it's like we have to figure out like what that is because the efforts, some of them are there. We, we need to work on them, but it's definitely like the campus could be could be more diverse and coming in, like I said, coming in not really knowing, noticing the lack of diversity. Once you see it, it, it really it really shows because coming from a predominantly African American area, but going to a predominantly white school, you know, it was really the beginning it didn't bother me. But now I'm in my senior year and you sit down and when we all African Americans like my group of friends we flock together, it's it's a like you know, everybody like looking, we laugh too loud, we get this look and I'm just like, oh gosh, so we are causing the scene, it's always something they're like laugh with them or it's, <laughs> yeah, it's speaking to the next point as well like it's always like I think we're supposed to be laughing because they're laughing they're laughing really loud and it's, it's like you know this you really know this I just wanted to like, give a nod to like the school because of what I, I came into the U um, 2013 so my freshman year we didn't have like FYS and we didn't have a lot of activities on campus for me to participate in so I felt super lost and my town, Ali and I grew up in the same area. So like our city is like really diverse. Like we're so used to just like bouncing around and learning about different cultures. So I came into school thinking like, oh yeah, it's all like, all like that, all everywhere. So I was like bouncing around and saying like, hey, you wanna hang out? And people were like, ooh. And um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So um, <laughs> so I just wasn't like, it was a, it was a culture shock put in the opposite way. So I, I just, I kind of just like, shrank a little bit, especially the sophomore year, because I was just, was really lost, but I noticed like all the improvements on campus and how we've been trying to make the things a lot more diverse and getting people more involved in activities, and I just wanted to give a shout out to that, because I wish I had that freshman year, so. <laughs> it's crazy, because I think most of us like had that idea and thought, because it's Philadelphia. It's the city of Philadelphia. It's supposedly like really diverse in the city of Philadelphia, but to this campus and total opposite of what the city really reflects. So I, I grew up, I was born and raised in Philly, and you're right, Philly is a very diverse area. I grew up in Northeast Philly and then I went to high school at Central, which is in Broad Street. Very diverse. I came here, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of a shock to me. I am white. so. I, I had a lot of friends, Indian, Black, Asian, and like you can name it, that came here and it kind of was a culture shock for me as well because I was like, I'm not used to a lot of white people, even though I'm like white myself. So, it, yeah. You're obviously saying something that's very, very important that being faculty, you know, the faculty administration in this room, we'd really love to know from you guys. What could we do as a university overall to make it better? And what can we do in the classroom to make it better to avoid those nightmare situations you explained to So I think that, like I said, the efforts they're trying to be made, but like the execution. So say if there's an event that's going toward like people of color, something like that, have them involved with the planning and like what actually is real and authentic. So then it's more of a authentic thing because I spoke with one of my classmates actually today and he was bringing up like the I think the Tambar Carnival or something like that and he was saying like I mean yeah I saw the intent but the food and like it wasn't 
truly authentic. So it's like maybe talking to the people that are coming from that group or whatever you're the people that you're trying to, you know, reach out to or maybe learn more about or share about, like have them be a part of creating this event to what it needs to be because then you see the authenticity and like you just know that it's real versus like, okay, this is what we think it is. Let's try and see how it works. Just have the people from that group be a part of the execution of it. One thing I really like know or I appreciate it from one of my um, professors this year, she's a gender diversity teacher. Um, one thing I really appreciated this year is that we're like, kind of in a topic talking about um, how race and gender interact and like, the intersectionalities of the two. And most of the time, usually you know, like anytime professors talk about race or um, gender identity or sexual identity, stuff like that, they usually have articles written by like white, cisgendered, heterosexual people. What I really appreciated about this class was she took the time to find authentic pieces that people in that category wrote about. So we're talking about race and gender. She picked different articles from someone who is a black woman, someone who was a black transgender woman. Like she like went out of her way to find that that missing piece in the discussion rather than having to depend on the people of color in the class to say it for them. And like that's one thing that I found to be missing specifically in our Hallmark classes is that like everyone has like said, we're always the ones who have to like fill in that missing voice when it's just like you got the internet, you can find an article, you can find like plenty of peer-reviewed sources talking about this. Why aren't you going like if you're like I don't like personally speaking, I don't want to hear from someone who's like a white, cisgendered, heterosexual person or man, and I'm not like all of those characteristics. Like I don't want to hear from that. And it's just like I would feel more comfortable hearing from someone who's like me. And then like I feel like on the opposite end of the spectrum, someone who's not that person can get gain better insight on who that person is. At least their side of the story, their short story. I think um, one thing that a lot of professors do a good job of, but a lot also don't, is when you're in class and you're talk and like they're talking about a uh, Donald Trump, let's say they're talking about Donald Trump, and uh, they're bringing up some issue with him or whatever. I think it's important for professors to stay neutral because. Although, like, well, of course, they have their own opinions there and like their own thoughts about everything. But for a lot of people, when when you show your students that you're on one side or the other, they the the student who's opposing your idea stops listening because he's like, oh no, he's only looking at one side, only one side. But when you stay neutral, it, it it's easier for the student to be like, okay, like. I see his. I see. I see how he sees both sides. Now I'm trying to see both sides. You know, like I have. I have a friend who, again, always brings it up. In in class, he or or he'll be in class, and his teacher is what he calls a liberal. He goes, "Oh, he's a liberal. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He's gonna talk all liberal thoughts." And it's like he just stopped listening. He doesn't listen anymore. He goes on the computer and like. Everything that 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 his professor is saying, he's like arguing it in his head instead of trying to comprehend it. So I I, I think professors should do a better job staying neutral. Um, going off of that, so this past year SGA's been working on an initiative for professors to be trained 
to um, understand how to have these conversations within the classroom and stay neutral and how to kind of run the discussion. And then also um, have professors trained in LGBTQ inclusive language um, because I think, you know, both of these subjects kind of go hand in hand and there's been some issues with that within the classroom. Um, we actually presented it to the provost and they really liked the idea. So our initiative to really start pushing forward is for all professors to be trained as to how to create this inclusive classroom so every student feels that they're being treated appropriately since the professors do control their grades and their success, you know, of this university. I think what you're saying is like, but it's so important because not only like, say a professor says something completely opposing your opinion, you know, you kind of have that thought in your mind for the rest of the semester. If it's something that serious or something that really hits you, you have that thought for the rest of the semester and your communication with that professor, your trust in that professor, you know, is you're not gonna have that and it's gonna reflect on your grade, it's gonna reflect on your performance, it's gonna reflect on how you view what they're teaching you and I feel like it's important that professors are kind of trained and knowledgeable about, you know, what's going on in our society and how to really talk to people and respect people because once you have that disconnect, you basically lose a whole semester of education. And also like, have to like get comfortable with you know disagreement and like healthy like um, not debate but you know like healthy disagreement but there has to be like some kind of happy medium where you know you can disagree and have that conversation and not feel like you know your professor's like talking down to you and not um, evaluating your experience or your opinion. Tim has something to say. I, I would say I, I applaud SGA for their efforts uh, in, in Provost's office. I was in the room. Um, but I, I would also encourage um, students to challenge administration, of which I am one. Um, I think it's awesome to have training. I think it's another thing to require training. Um, and I wonder, would the university make a larger statement by actually requiring it versus offering it. So I just put that thought. So to that point, I would like to more questions. How do you get professors to comment? Can you require it? I'm sorry, I retract that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was uh, one of the points we had brought up. And one of the people we had talked to was Provost Tukachinsky, um, who's from Center City Campus. And they do trainings, or have done in the past, with their professors. And ways to do it is that they make they have an online option also, so you have to do it no matter what. But they give you the option of coming or doing it online, so they can more accommodate to the needs of campus. And just so you know, for your argument, we all have to do the Title IX online thing, so that's it happens. We're required to do that, so it wouldn't be that much harder to require something virtual as well. And, and I do think um, that faculty could probably speak to this as well. I think sometimes there's an aversion to requiring people to do things. Um, and I, I think that that has to be done. I think if some things are required, it could be a huge statement to require this as well. But I can add that if it's required of everyone, there's no exclusion, no inclusion, or any discrimination, then I think it's the issue of just like what Professor Lane said about the title line. Everybody has to do it, so there's no discrimination, so we all end up doing it. I think there'll be less resistance to that than if the worst possible link. You need one, so you better <laughs> <laughs> I guess like what, and I, I do agree with the requirement um, aspect, but what my fear is with that is that 
say you have professors who don't, you know, agree with, say, like, members of the LGBT community, and, like, they're required to be safe zone trained, and then they're um, considered a safe zone when they're not actually one. That's, like, something that can be really scary. Uh, just going off of Sydney's point of that is um, back in my hometown, my sister works at a middle school, and they um, had they had somebody come in and speak on an LGBT point, and then they offered out so everybody heard it, and then they offered out safe zone stickers, and so there was a clear distinction between everybody has been trained. If you take this sticker and put it on your door, you are opening up your students to come and have this conversation with you, and you have to be accepting and open in that conversation. And so I think like having everybody be trained in that is really important, and then like some kind of distinction whether like your door is open to that because it can be a very very personal thing, and like it's okay for teachers to maybe not want to have that conversation whether they're um, supportive or not because that can be like a very um, personal thing though. Some people just aren't right with that kind of conversation. It's acceptable that like a professor wouldn't feel comfortable with because they can say the wrong thing or something like that. Yeah, I just want to add to that, and that's why some professors might not have a sticker on their office doors because they may feel inadequately trained or they may not feel like how much of a training they receive, they might be in a position to talk very professionally about those issues and they wouldn't want a student to kind of quote unquote suffer at their hands and might as well go to somebody else who can offer a better uh, a kind of better set of ears. So yeah, that's all. And because I actually a person who is as a professor and as an individual very concerned about labels. So one of the things you're doing with that, that sticker on you're labeling your you're signaling and you're labeling yourself. And labels can be very powerful. They can be powerful ways of inclusion, but dangerously they can also be powerful ways of exclusion. And so I, I'm very concerned. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just concerned about how we tread on that particular uh, direction. Yeah, I actually like to respond to Renee a little bit. I I, pre, I really appreciate your response to that. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that have to be nuanced. I think my point is that um, if students feel that it's important, I think it's um, up to our university to kind of speak to what kind of community we want. And it, there might be hard times in, in doing that, and we may lose people. Um, but I, I think ultimately, um, you know, I, I also I appreciate, um, you know, the value of taking that sticker and, and putting that up and showing people. Um, but I, I think part of it is I, I certainly would, it would be horrible to lose people. But I think in the long run, it, you know, the university as a whole should say, this is the kind of community that we want, this is what we stand for, and this, this is what we think is right, and it doesn't mean that we hate on everybody, but we expect a certain level of understanding, a certain level of education of everyone. Um, you know, it's not that you have to be liberal, it's not that you have to be conservative, but I think it's really more about the community. So I, I very much appreciate um, your response to that, and then my take on it was just kind of, um, you know, we talk a lot with the students about creating your own community. That, that stands for the university as well. Um, why is social diversity and collaboration important, and why is it overlooked? I just feel like um, 
it's unfamiliar. So when people aren't familiar with something, they tend to like shrink away, especially if they come from somewhere where they feel used to something else. So if you're used to a certain style of like a certain group of friends or student, like um, music you listen to and you come to a different setting and then you're listening to something completely different that you've never heard before, that kind of like makes people kind of shrink away and not try it out. But and then some people are feel fearful of something new. I was just going to say to speak to the cultural collaboration piece, like, when I was in high school, like, all of our marginalized groups, like, if one group was having an event, every single other group made it a point to have their members go to that event to support those people to, like, you know, be immersed in their culture as well, and I feel like a lot of what I see here is not so much of that effort, um, and I think, like, even within people of color, like, within those groups as well, like, there needs to be more understanding and like solidarity between those groups as well as like between you know people who aren't people of color. Yeah, so like going off all that it kinda creates like creative thinking. Like when when a person is put in a situation where they're in a cultural diversity scenario where they're with other people of other ethnicities and races, their perspectives also change. They get an idea of all perspectives from different people and I think that's so important wherever you go in your life to understand everyone's perspective so you know how to go about it in the situation that you come forth and how to respectively go about it. Well, the earlier point that I came back to is somebody had mentioned something about like, us not knowing how to disagree. I think that that's like very evident as not here to talk about the racialist issues, which I like, have the opportunity of getting out of her taking some credit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it seems to be very problematic. Different. And we need to like create a 
like a distinction between that and just see people as people and not as, you know, you're this race, you're this, you're this ethnicity, and, you know, kind of agree to disagree and be okay with disagreeing. I think one problem uh, that can occur and that I've noticed in, like, class debates is, like, people will come to the point where they're like, okay, fine, we're obviously not going to agree, so we're disagreeing, but then they'll stop listening or they'll be having conversations with the people next to them in class or going on their um, phone or whatever because the student is a liberal or their professor is a liberal or conservative and they don't want to listen. And I think that's a problem beyond like if like getting to the point where we're okay with disagreeing and then getting past the point where we're not just going to shut people out because we disagree. I think that's something that comes into play as well. <laughs> solution to create a more diverse campus but I feel like 
the amount of the number of well the people that you bring into the campus can really change that. And I mean that going to like admission, giving students of color an opportunity to come here. You know, like I came here because I had a pretty good uh, um, scholarship and. I'm pretty sure there were kids out there who, even with the scholarship, could not even afford it. And especially in the city of Philadelphia, where it's not predominantly a wealthy city, like I think it goes back. Maybe admissions can change it. I'm not sure, but that could be one idea. Yeah, I think something to think about along those lines with what Mitch said. Just like a lot of that solution, it it, it like involves changing the culture here. Uh, um, you know, even something. That Myself as a person of color to know, you know, not necessarily from the school, but to have a resource to know where to go get a haircut. Like, because I don't go, to fresh cut or like this, that's on the spot. I like a little more seasoning on this. So, like, what if, you know, I know for the campus they have, like, it's not called POC orientation, but it's like an orientation we've got to address. Like, how do I transition, especially if I come from somewhere where this is very new to me? Um, it's funny because we were having this conversation as a group of RAs, and a student walks up to us and asks, um, like, is this Chinese place in India? And we all, like, look at each other, and we just start, like, bust out laughing. It's like, what are you looking for? And he told us, like, well, no, that's not what you want. Like, but he wasn't going to get that resource, you know, out of the, the bag of all the menus they gave him, like, to eat, you know, um, so thinking about it. Not just what brings students here, but what makes them want to stay. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think uh, uh, a more specific solution or positive solution in terms of on campus is um, the school supporting clubs and teams, and the club supporting other clubs and teams, supporting other teams, because there are a lot of cultural clubs, and like there's an engineering club, there's um, an architecture club, and like I think different communities supporting different communities expands each and every community. Does that make sense? So I think that's more like a specific possible solution. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that I think that a big thing is just like the spreading of awareness. That's only like one big thing, and that. Um, as professors, like I feel like that's something that should be taken advantage of because I will admit that like as a pre-med student or like as any student in college right now, you're kind of like in your own bubble. You're just focused on like what due dates do I have? What do I have to do with them? What is this and that? That it's just like sometimes when something as big as like um, the event that happened in Puerto Rico, like something like that, like I wasn't like immediately aware of that, you know? And that's like something that I feel like I should be aware of. I should be learning about things like this. So like class time is such a big deal to me that I feel like professors should not be so big on, oh, like you have this and that, do this and then. And I feel like it should be more about like learning what's going on like around like the globe. And that's why I'm so thankful for like the, for the fact that debating global issues is something that we actually have to take because 
without this class, I wouldn't be learning about all these things. I would just completely
think for for me it's like it's a whole level thing. So like having a space like give a shout out to Allie and King Bond for being a one. Um, like having a space that's dedicated to diversity and social justice and all of the programs that we do. Hold on, you're getting shout out notes. But all of the programs that we do in that office are student centered, they're by students for students, and it's that amount of empowerment that, you know, while it sometimes feels like, you know, I have to work for it, similar to what I was saying, like you have to work for it, but you also are given that opportunity to do so, and I appreciate that. And then also, like, Res life, <laughs> where like you know, there's just space for you to go in and just be, and like you know, you're welcomed with open arms. And there's like little places like that that kind of keep me here, and like you know, kind of help me forget a little bit about the bigger systemic issues. Okay, so um, besides the fact that I can't go, my mom, it's not an option. <laughs> but it's, it's not an option. So it's like making it what you want it to be, like Mo and I have been talking about. Like we've talked about this, I know in my FYS class, and I told my students, like, you gotta even with our one-on-one means like you have to make it what you want it to be. If you don't, it's it's gonna be hard. But I feel like, you know, sometimes you shouldn't always have to go out of your way, but on this campus that that's been what was pushing me through. I you know, each day I look at my friends, you know, even Snapchats, you know, homecomings are happening. I'm just like, what is, like, you know, you're missing out on it. But it's like, all right, make your experience what you want it to be. And eh, I'm here. I've made it what I want it to be. Like, you know, Red Life, you know, shout out to them again. They really have helped me to share with, you know, my residents and stuff like that, you know, giving me the opportunity to help others, you know, who may be having the same issue that I had my freshman year. My first year, my first year RA, she changed everything for me. I was like, okay, I need to be that person for someone because if, if it was someone like me who didn't have an RA like I did, it, you, the enrollment, you know, people start leaving and stuff like that. You don't want that. So it's more so it's while I'm here making it what I want it to be, doing what I need to do to make it fun and not hate it. You know? I was just going to go into that too. Um, I, I kind of made it my own by like joining as many clubs as I could. And I think I was in like every single club myself. Oh, <laughs> Being a student athlete, I feel like that was draining for me. So like I just wanted to do something that was enjoyable. So I I would play soccer and then I would join this club and I would be in the dance team and be in the dance company and then running around all over the place. But like doing something that like makes me want to wake up and be like, hey, I have this to do today. And like, hey, I have this person to hang out with. And I met this person today. So that's cool. So like little steps along the way, like everyone's been saying, like just made me overall in my five years of being on campus, I look back and say like every little thing that I've learned along the way helped me become who I am today. <laughs> but um, and no, honestly, I, I feel like I could leave the school and say like in the beginning I, I was dreading it, but because I've done so much and was able to learn so much in my time here, that's kind of the most you have to make out of college, just being involved. Um, when I came here, I remember my mom told me like 20 times, she's like, whatever school you pick, that's the school you're going to, you're not transferring. <laughs> <laughs> so in my mind, I thought about transferring, but then I was like, all right, my mom's going to beat my ass, so never mind. <laughs> um, but I took it as a challenge, because I'm in the construction management 
and in the construction field, and Jana and Monique kind of definitely on this, it's not as diverse. It's really not. There's an actual term, I think, disadvantaged business entrepreneurs. There's they give construction companies give an opportunity for people uh, people of different backgrounds and cultures to get a job. And I thought of that. I was like, why should my color, why should my ethnicity be the reason why I get a job? It should be me. It should be who I am and who I represent. And I wanted to make a change. And I took that as a challenge when I saw the non-diversity here to create a little bit of a better diverse community. And that's why I joined SGA. You know, I wanted to create a more diverse SGA as well. You know, it starts with our student clubs and our organizations. It starts from like faculty administration. You know, so I took it as a challenge and it's helping me. And I know that it'll help me later in the future. I think uh, personally for me, um, what's kept me here is not just the money, but um, I wouldn't call it a responsibility to my family, but it's what I want to give back to my family. Being the first generation Mexican American, my parents came from Mexico at the age of 17 or 18, so younger than all of us at this point. And they knew nothing. And the fact that they were, are able to send me to college and to look at myself and see where I am, and it's like that I'm a product of them. They they created me. And they, 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 my whole life, they've just been working and working. And now that I've gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, like I told my dad, my dad's like, oh, if you want, take the car or. Or what's your credit card bill? I'm like, Dad, I'm 20. I'm gonna be 20 next, 21 next year. I when I graduate from here, you have nothing to worry about about me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, stop worrying about me. Start worrying about you. He just recently quit his job because I told him to. I was like, Dad, you've been there for 20. Who knows how many years? You have to like leave. They don't treat you well there. Now, thank God, my uncle has his own business. He's working with my uncle now, and he's just so much happier. The first week I went home that week. That he first started working, he was like, you know what, my back is is, is loose and like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that I told you. Like, I, I don't know. I just so like. That's why I say, because to see everything that they've done for me, I. I I want to give them a house. I want to give them cars. I want to give them all the money in the world, but and I, also being a first generation American, Mexican American. I had to read the application to them. I had to translate everything to them. I had to go to any interview. They had to go to the doctors, anything like that. And like, it's, I don't know. How I, I could it's just relate to that yeah. so much because I'm a first American, uh, Indian, first generation Indian. And my dad came here when he was uh, like 19, married my mom. And she came here after they got married. And literally, like, I can't tell you how hard they worked to bring me here. Like, a couple months ago, my dad and my mom were talking, and my dad was like, man, this job, because my dad doesn't really have an education, you know, he just works wherever he finds a job, and he just got a job doing packaging, and he was like, man, like, it's so tough, like, my back is hurting, I'm getting older. And, like, I couldn't even say anything, because in my mind, I'm like, this man is literally working his, like, butt off to put me in college, and I just, that makes me so passionate and just makes me want to succeed even better to give them the opportunity that they should definitely deserve. Like, I helped my parents with like all that stuff mm-hmm. with doctors, insurance. They didn't know what FAFSA was. 
They didn't know what any of that stuff. I had to fill it out. Like I had to call them and get the information, do it all myself. And it's so tough being a first uh, generation. Like it's just, it's so tough. And like that, that's also one reason why I had to stay because I, I can't let them down. Like I really can't. Yeah, I also think that makes it's made me a stronger person because all the experiences that I've gone through and like there's there's a time where we'll be, we'll be on the street and people will say something to us and my mom will be like what what did you say I'm big mom don't even worry about it like don't even worry about it just keep walking like it is what it is it's gonna be happening all the time like it's it's not that big of a deal they're being dumb you know so I think it's it's made me such a strong person, strong character, and, and I'm, just, I'm just so thankful.